Hi, this is Doug Jones, and you're listening to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. I know! Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. We will begin an mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you can be so easily! It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess, and we will give you witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to bring your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Bye by Saturday night. Welcome to yet another Area 51 recording of Sci-Fi Saturday Night, the first podcast to guarantee that if you listen, you hear stuff. Tonight, in episode 436, if indeed it is night, we look forward with great anticipation. So let's see how that works out. On board for tonight's podcast are, sitting at the Sci-Fi Saturday Night gaming console and help desk, our own taciturn technical trouble wrangler, Kriana. Yes. Aha! She actually said something, and I didn't have to say glitter to make her do it. I kind of mm, like that. Herpes. <laughs> oh, major minor to Colonel Colonel. We won't say the man is a little off, but he does have a collection of Korean Skittles packages and owns more than one picture of Mary Tyler Moore, if you know what I mean. It's Captain Cam. Hey, I am a huge fan of Mary Tyler Moore. I will not apologize for it. Although some of those pictures probably should not don't, make it no, to don't, 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 No, don't want to know. Dear God, <laughs> don't want to know. And me, I'm just a freshwater fish in a saltwater tank. They call me the dome. Uh, tonight, uh, we get to do one of those things that we do every once in a while, because we do a lot of different stuff every once in a while. When we go to conventions, uh, we spend a lot of time uh, walking the artist alley, walking the author's alley uh basically drinking in the other alleys uh checking out new stuff seeing what's going on uh meeting a lot of old friends and picking up a couple of new ones along the way at GraniteCon this year we bumped into uh the gentleman we're about to introduce to you who had just i believe finished his kickstarter for his very very first comic book Ryan Lassard, writer for the comic book Sentinel. Ryan, welcome to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. Um, so let's start with the obvious. What the hell did you decide to write a comic book? Where did that come from? <laughs> That's a good question. I tried uh, to start I, with a good one. The rest of them may not be good at all. You don't know yet. <laughs> Uh, well, the question is why, I mean, I guess, why does a writer write? I mean, it's, it's kind of, uh, an existential question. question. Sorry. Never mind. Go ahead. Um, but I, you know, I've been a writer all my life. I've always, uh, been writing stories since I was a kid. Um, and, and I have actually a memory of writing, uh, in this, one of those old, uh, paper folders with the, 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 the three ring kind of uh, connector 
And I put a bunch of paper in there and it was like every other page was writing and drawing. And uh, I didn't really have anyone in my life uh, growing up sort of introducing me to comics. So I had no idea that what I was making at the time was technically a type of comic. I was just, I guess I thought of it as like a picture book. Um, but looking back in retrospect, it's something that I probably should have gotten into sooner. Um, I'd always tried my hand at writing different kinds of stories, scripts, prose stories. Um, and I kind of fell into comic writing in 2017. So fairly recently, um, there, there was like a free workshop uh, that my now friend, uh, Brian Furtado, was putting on as part of his graduate school uh, uh, program. And it was in the back room of my local comic shop, Double Midnight Comics. And we met basically oh God, weekly. We don't know anything about those guys. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, of course, owned by the 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 lovely brothers Prue and Brett Parker. Um, and, uh, and by the way, just to, uh, you know, uh, these, these are tough times for for retailers. If you guys can, uh, uh, those listening, uh, you know, throw a few bucks, throw a few, throw a coin to your to your comic book. Uh, Seller. If it's safe uh, for you to get out, if and it's, it's okay if they do curbside pickup and deliveries, and give them a call. Tell them what yeah. you want. I mean, I'm hoping to get some Harley Quinn stuff next week, and you know, they're the brothers Prue are kind of like the brothers Grimm of New Hampshire. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you <laughs> Between go. Manchester and Concord stores, they yeah. really just cater to the needs of the geek community in a way that they it's it's difficult to explain yeah. and should Anyhow. be noted for those who don't know uh also organized granite con where we met exactly um and so anyways we were in the back room of their shop uh weekly uh over the course of uh maybe a couple months over the summer uh, just sort of learning the basics of how to put together a comic script, you know, what the sort of basic parameters were that you're working in, what are some of the uh, uh, sort of technical aspects you need to keep in mind. I had already at that point some experience in screenwriting, uh, nothing professional, just sort of as a hobby, and I had taken some classes in college. Um, and so I, in, in the course of going to that workshop, dusted off an old screenplay uh, that I'd written in like 2012 and tried to adapt it. And that's basically how I came up with uh, Sentinel. Um, yeah. So, I mean, why I write comics is, is sort, of, sort of like, you know, why I write stories. But, you know, comics just was a natural medium for me because I, I've also, you know, grown up with a lot of art and, and, and I used to draw and doodle a lot. And, and this really, I don't know, it, it seemed to click in a way that the other mediums I had tried to write in in the past didn't click as much before. What happened? There, there, there has to be a point at which you found a comic or a comic found you that you went, holy crap, what is this? I like this. Oh, sure. Yeah. What was that? Um, I, well, it's probably not a unique story, um, but, you know, just before the movie uh, was coming out around 2008 or 2007, I picked up my first comic uh, a graphic novel, uh, The Watchmen. And um, I'd, I'd maybe read, read a few comics before that, but that was maybe the one that really 
made me kind of have the epiphany that these aren't, you know, kitty stuff, that these can have really uh, profound and adult themes, you know, that you can tell really complex stories uh, and use images, uh, you know, in, in more sophisticated ways to tell those stories. Um, and obviously I've expanded my, my, uh, my reading repertoire a lot since then. I, you know, I've gotten into a lot of the Brian K. Vaughn books, like Why the Last Man, Saga, uh, recently Paper Girls. Um, I, uh, I recently finished all the Lock and Key books by Joe Hill, uh, which are excellent. Um, well, you know, it's a shame I you could, never I got go into quality stuff. Oh, I mean, oh, you know, reading that, that cheap garbage to start, <laughs> it's amazing you got through it at all. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean why The Last Man is, if you get them in trades, it's it's a master class because he oh, actually yeah. has a lot of the scripts in the back. Absolutely. Uh, so you can compare and, and, you know, look at, you know, the artwork on the page and look at the script of the same page and see how they did it, uh, which is which is really cool. So, I mean, at, at this point in your life, you're working as a journalist. You're also working a little bit in radio. So you're a print journalist, a radio journalist, uh, and you're, you're toying with writing uh, fictional scripts. And, and somehow that evolves together into a story of a universe in the future um, with multiple races and multiple uh, uh, multiple factions within those races uh, after a time of peace and a time of war. And, you know, I expected at some point to see the slow crawl uh, episode nine. It's been 17 years since... But it, that didn't happen. I'm thankful for that. Yeah, there, uh, you know, I, I had an extra page and I used it for a little bit of an introductory explanation. But I try to write the story so that you can still tell what's going on, even if I were to cut that page out. But, it, you know, it's a little bit of, of help. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, I've, I just grew up with a lot of the Star Wars and Star Trek mythologies and um I, I i just have so much fun in those worlds that i wanted to create one just like it um and uh working as a journalist i figured i'd you know as the old adage goes write what i know uh and i uh, came up with a story uh, about a character who was a journalist in one of these future spacefaring uh you know pluralistic multi-species societies so let's talk a little um, and, bit about that yeah. character, Saras Ve Vida. Uh, Vedi, yeah. <laughs> Vedi. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm only mildly dyslexic. So That's if fair. I've gotten that name wrong, count on the fact that I will get your name wrong repeatedly. Not a problem. That's okay. Everybody's I always get me. Brian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no reason for it, but I get that. Well, who did you base the character on? Uh, well, it's funny, uh, uh, Cam, uh, mentioned that, uh, he, he kind of saw it as like a Lois Lane in a Star Trek universe. And that's like, I, I said, well, that's a better pitch than I came up with. <laughs> um, 
I mean, I guess I, uh, I I did in some ways base her a little bit off of like a Lois Lane archetype. Um, uh, in the real world, you know, uh, I was thinking more like some of the, the you know, foreign correspondents, um, you know, like uh, Christiana Mampour and and uh, and others who who have like you know. Uh, had a long storied career in, in, in journalism um, and, you know, a powerful woman uh, at the same time. Uh, and uh, in, in her case, uh, in the story, the species of alien that Ceres is, uh, is as close as you get to sort of a, um, uh, a downtrodden minority uh, in that she you know, her people were sort of thrust into refugee status after a, a genocide that took place in like uh, 15, 20 years ago. Um, and there are other reasons that they're distrusted, but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's sort of like an uphill battle for her. Um, and uh, I wanted to, to sort of come back to the roots of Star Trek a little bit and, 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 and tell those stories about diversity and about, um, uh, you know, it, it, trying to achieve equality amidst all that diversity uh, by telling what I think is a pretty real and, 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 and rough story for a lot of, you know, real life people. Um, but, you know, cloak it in the sort of sci-fi uh, allegory uh, which Star Trek was was kind of known for when it first came out in the sixties. Even this um, takes it to another level because yeah. you know what you never get to see when watching these correspondents, which maybe you did working as a journalist for all those years, is uh, once the mic clicks off, once the camera uh, shuts down, once they say off the air, boy, does the cloak come off rather quickly, doesn't it? Well, you know, um, I, I've, I've been doing this for a few years and uh, there's there's definitely, a, you know, um, a whole world uh, in this industry that people don't get to see. Uh, people who are doing journalism are some of the hardest working and honest, uh, good people that you'll ever meet. But they get uh, such a bad rap. Um, yep. And, you know, especially uh, lately, add to that especially lately but you know you add to that all your your typical um uh things that set people back on the on the uh, track uh of life like uh like being a a minority and a woman and and all those things that you know uh that, that people in real life have to face and you add that to being a journalist and it makes it that much harder um and so i wanted to 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 showcase kind of a, a couple different things with that, not only just the hardships, but also the triumphs and, and what it looks like when people succeed. Uh, and, and also what actual journalism it is. And I don't think people are very news literate nowadays. And that's partly why journalists are so maligned. They don't really understand what it is we do. Um, you know, no matter what the medium, and I, I have to point out, I haven't been in radio for maybe five years or so, but, uh, you know, it's, it's similar, but it's different uh, going from, from on air to print. Um, no matter what, you still have the same ethos though. And that ethos, uh, that carries you through is basically stick to the facts, you know, don't inject your own opinions and emotions 
into this thing, you're, you have a duty, a public service, you know, and that, uh, is sacred because it's basically what keeps our society glued together in a way, especially if you're in a democratic society and people need to be informed to vote. <laughs> so I could, I could go on for hours about nudge, that. Nudge. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, I, I, I partly wanted to showcase that. I wanted to say, you know, this is what journalism is like, uh, but also have a fun space adventure at the same time so people don't get bored. <laughs> One of the things that I've noticed, and I hope I'm not giving away too much, but you had it up on your Kickstarter page, sure. is that there is a great deal of diversity in the races of aliens and without giving away what's going to, because you gave me a sneak peek at what's going to happen um, earlier on with what's mm-hmm. going to happen in issue two, but we run into some very interesting and very unique concepts for alien species. Um, can I talk about the plant-based doctor, or is that something? Oh, you'd sure. Like? Yeah. No, so one fine. of the concepts. If you couldn't, it's too damn late. Yeah. <laughs> well, but, but that, but that's not the the, the thing about it, though is the thing about it, and this is what I loved when you came up with, when you told me about this, was it's a plant-based doctor. So it's it's McCoy in plant form. Um, well, I don't know if it is, but I'm just, I'm just throwing that out. Yeah, he, please, he's a little grumpy, sure. Please tell me he's not called <laughs> McCorophil. No. Oh, okay, good. No, no, no. no. Good, good, there, good, 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 good. There is, uh, I don't think it's that subtle, so I'll, I'll just say it. There is a bit of a nod to McCoy in his name. Uh, which is spelled out B-R-Y-C. And I've kind of left the pronunciation open to the readers if they want to call him Brick or Brick or whatever. I had imagined Brick. And so that was a little nod to McCoy's favorite, li- uh, you know, famous oh, God, line. yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I was about to say that line, too. Something along the line of I'm not a doctor. I'm not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor. <laughs> right, right. But yeah. Oh, God. That's, that's kind of cool. But one of the things you have in there is that he speaks something, and he speaks, I'm going to use in quotes, that mm-hmm. nobody else can really translate because he uses, well, what, you, I mean, you can explain this better than I can because you, but he sure. has to have a translator. Gosh, if you, you could maybe it. explain this concept. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, I had fun coming up with this. So I wanted to, to you know, uh, do sort of a, a metaphor of a handicap, which Star Trek has, is, has done many times before. Like, um uh, there was an episode of D Space Nine where a young woman was, you know, recruited to Starfleet, was the only one of her species in Starfleet. Uh, and that was in part because she came from a, a planet with very um, different gravity where their people was sort of flowed around and they weren't used to what Earth standard gravity was, which to them was very high gravity, which forced her into essentially a wheelchair to get around. Um, and that was how they came up with that metaphor for one episode. Um, I wanted to, to make a regular, uh, you know, senior staff character, some have something like that. Uh, I went to college with a lot of people who, who did like American sign language. Um, and so I was writing this around the time I was finishing up, uh, college and, and I think that's probably what inspired it. But the, the idea is this, essentially he speaks an alien language, but it, it's, um, phonetics and its sounds and its and its you know uh, lexicon is not enough to translate the full meaning of what someone from that species is saying. 
there's a, a second uh, component to that, which is the sort of spores or uh, pollen that you know emits from the back of, of their heads, and um, and that uh, needs some special extra component to to fully translate the meaning of what he, whatever he says. Uh, so he's got another guy, uh, another doctor, sort of an assistant type guy, Dr. Green, who has an implant and uses that to to interpret everything he says. And they're sort of an odd couple. They're they're fun to write. Um, uh, hopefully, we'll get to get to them in future issues. Uh, you don't really you see them briefly in issue two. That's when they're first introduced, coming out soon, hopefully. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's the idea for him. I was gonna, you know, have the letterer come up with some, you know, fun alien characters in the word bubble and then Angus Green, his assistant translator and, and, uh, and botanist, he's going to basically translate everything the guy says, just like you would in, in real life. So when can we expect to see this episode too? I, I mean, because I'm actually rather interested to see where this goes. I've got my guesses already from the final page of episode one, what's going to happen next. But when can we expect to see this? Uh, the original due date that I had put on the, the second Kickstarter was uh, next month, April. I oh, cool. don't know with all the things that are going on with uh, COVID-19 and all that, that, that will hit that mark. We've run into a few snags and delays. Uh, right now, though, we're almost done. All the line work is done. Uh, I've got a few of the colored pages in, and some of those have already been lettered as well. Uh, I'm, I'm basically like piecemeal. As I get colored pages, I send them to the letterer, and um, we're trying to get get you know get the shit moving. But uh, you know, life happens, and and uh, we all have day jobs on the side. All, all of my collaborators, I should mention, Jethro Morales does the art. Um, he's he's the artist. Uh, he, he lives in the Philippines, and he he's got a, a background in animation, and he's amazing. Uh, uh, the colorist is Dash Martin. He lives in Florida. Uh, actually, the letterer also in Florida, Adam Willett, um, and. Uh, they're the same team that did issue one. They're still with me for issue two. And uh, yeah, basically the Kickstarter was just to pay pay these guys, uh, you know, to, to do this work for me. Uh, I'm not really making any money off of it. I'm just trying to get my get my story out there. <laughs> um, but it's it's actually a very fun, rewarding process. Uh, the first issue I did a Kickstarter last year. Uh, no, uh, I think it was the year before last year. What's that? Twenty eighteen. Uh, and then we did the Kickstarter for issue two last year. So we're very much nearing the uh, publication date. I just don't, I couldn't give you an exact uh, time, but hopefully very soon. Completely understand that. And there was one thing that Dome and I lovingly, and love it, truly lovingly, because it's one of my favorite scenes in any movie I've ever seen. And you, you can ask Creon and, and uh, Dome that I mentioned this ad nauseum. Is the uh, is the cantina scene in Star Wars? I've always yes. loved that scene because it was this moment where you had humans, 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 humans. And all of a sudden, boom! You have these multitude of alien species, yes. and you have this cantina. You know the shot I'm talking about, right in the middle of the book. You, it <laughs> flops open to it, which is what helped sell me on this book. Is yeah. this cantina scene? How did you and the artists go about developing the creatures we see there? And it is quite. The menagerie. Uh, people need to just pick it up for that one scene. 
Yeah. Um, well, I should point out, firstly, I, I mean, we share our, a love of the very same scene. Uh, so much so, in fact, I am presently seated in, in my uh, uh, man cave where I have all my Star Wars Lego sets on display. Uh, <laughs> one set in particular uh, that I kind of, uh, I guess, uh, uh, I started with an official set and I just sort of made it my own and went crazy with it, is the actual Mos Eisley Cantina. Uh, I've got the band playing in the corner and everything. I got Han and Greedo in the booth pointing their guns at each other. So I'm looking at it right now. It's funny that you bring it up. Um, uh, the scene that you're talking about in Sentinel, it's a, it's a two-page spread right in the middle of the book. Uh, and it was actually, uh, you know, it was conceived very, very much to, to show people that this is the kind of world we're in. Um, uh, and to back up a little bit, you know, the world that we're in is basically a Star Trek world. And I wanted people to know that that's sort of the starting point. That's the foundation, kind of in a lot of ways. What do you uh, how mean when Lord you say Star Trek world? A Star Trek world. Um, you have a, a pluralistic society where, like the Federation, there's a bunch of different alien species who are member species. They all have the same rights and privileges. They get along. There's trade and commerce. Um, and and they're united under under a single flag. And that's basically, in, in my world, okay. called the Orion uh, arm authority or the, uh, OAA, uh, that's basically the Federation, you know, they're sort of my version of that. Um, and, and, uh, there's an enemy, uh, in this galaxy that's, you know, you could conceive of as, you know, any of the enemies that Star Trek has faced in the past, the Dominion or the Klingon empire or what have you. Um, and, uh, and there's always some kind of wild card in the mix. Um, but, you know, it is strictly science fiction. It's set in our galaxy. So there's Earth, uh, there's humans, uh, and, you know, there's human history that, you know, leads to this point. Sort of like Star Trek had Zephram Cochran and, and Warp Speed and all that. And there's different technology that explains how they travel the stars. Um, and there's different, uh, you know, geopolitical power players of sorts. But uh, essentially those base, that basic, uh, component is there. Um, you know, I, I think that at this point we should be able to, uh, to do that a little bit more like Orville does, uh, on TV. Um, because you, you have Lord of the Rings and Dungeons and Dragons, which set the, the field for basically almost every fantasy genre story that's out there. But it seemed to me that uh, Star Trek and Star Wars and all the other, uh, and I, I recognize that Star Wars is just space fantasy, uh, but all the other sci-fi. That's How there dare is, you? Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, they're all in their own silos. You know what I mean? Like they all, they all started essentially from scratch, which is fine. But I think that, uh, we can do something like that with this. Um, and, and so I wanted to, to, with this two page spread, you know, say that in a way. Uh, so people sort of get a glimpse of, of a larger world uh, and see, you know, here are all these people. They're at kind of a like a gala, a function, a party, and they're all getting along and they're all different sizes and shapes and colors and whatnot. Um, and uh, to Cam's question, the way it was designed, there was uh, uh, a few references that I gave the artist 
there were a, a few specific characters that I wanted in there. Uh, and then he kind of just went crazy with the rest. He came up with actually probably 80% of what you're seeing on that. Um, and in fact, I think he worked in a few cameos of, uh, uh, Dragon Ball Z, which was, that's all Jethro. I, I don't know anything about Dragon Ball Z. That's, that's him. He's, he's I fan. found one of so, them. <laughs> yeah, if you're looking but, at it, but now, I you'll swear see. to God, the band, the band looks more like Jim and the holograms. But that's just me. I'm not really sure. That's probably his background in animation. I don't know. But um, there's, there's so many weird things going on in this one, uh, like uh, Cabernet in a wine glass, which I thought yeah. was just a weird, weird in a martini glass. A martini yeah. glass. There's a story there. There's a story there. They're they're um, because there's just yeah. To throw that in otherwise, I uh, know it's 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 just a random thing. It gives it a little bit of uh, verite, right? It feels a little bit real when something funky like that happens. But um, that's because it, it was not planned. Um, uh, the way I had written it in the script is she she had it in a regular wine glass. Uh, she did order it with ice, and I stand by that. I know that's weird for some people. Uh, but Robert Mondavi, I believe it was, or Michael Mondavi, one of the Napa Valley vineyards I once met for an interview, and he actually told me about that. So I stand by it. It's from an official wine okay. guy. Okay. But I was <laughs> insistent that it belonged in a wine glass. Uh, so I had that in the script. I get the first, you know, sketch layouts back, and I'm seeing a martini glass. And I said, oh, well, you know, this is this looks great, you know, but let's make it a let's make it a wine glass. Uh, comes back, I get the the pencils, still a wine glass. I'm like, uh, okay, um, I see that it's still a uh, martini glass. Let's let's switch it to a wine glass. Uh, finally, it's inked, and at this point, I mean, he, he my my artist Jethro, he he would be happy to change anything, but you know, I give him a million notes. He's got a triage, so this one didn't make the cut. Uh, it gets to the inks. He could he could have still changed it, but I just decided to choose my battles. And so what I did instead was um, I added a line the of dialogue. Panel, she's, line of dialogue. Yeah, where she, great. <laughs> where I, I don't have it in front of me, but she snarkily kind of remarked she says, as if the yeah, bartender we're doing that up. now. <laughs> sure. Wine in a martini glass. I guess we're doing that now. Yep. Yeah. But I a tell you, spoiler alert, um, that's how she's going to have to order it from now on. There's no other way she's getting that trip. <laughs> Um, so she's become James Bond as well as Lois Lane because she's yeah, got to have that drink. She's going to order. Yeah, <laughs> in a martini glass. And 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 it, just a fun side note to that: when uh, we did the the closing uh, day of our second Kickstarter, uh, me and a few friends got together at, at a uh, board game cafe here in town in, in Manchester, New Hampshire, called Bruce, and. You know, it was, a, it was a modest affair. We weren't doing a big shindig or anything, but uh, we got together and and in anticipation of that, uh, uh, one, of the, one of the bartend, bar manager, in fact, Fritz, uh, decided he was going to come up with his own drink. He flipped through issue one. He saw that scene and he came up with a, uh, a Cabernet gin cocktail with ice in a martini glass. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Nice. And, um, I think he called it Arms of Orion or something like that. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. So what's the plan? What's the plan for this this series? What are we looking at? Oh, I have plans within plans, Dome. Uh, of course I, you do. <laughs> the whole point. This is, 
this is this is my sweeping epic or one of them. Uh, I have actually uh, written the whole first six issue arc. I have outlined the next two arcs, uh, and that's just like the beginning. So uh, I, I know how the whole series will end, but there's room in the middle to just sort of play. And, and I'm leaving that room for myself. I don't want to overplan, uh, although maybe I've already crossed that line. Um, but the, uh, the plan in a, in a nutshell uh, for the uh, initial arcs is kind of just assembling the Avengers and putting together this crew and, and introducing the crew to the readers um, as just a really, you know, kind of kick-ass uh, group of aliens and some humans uh, who uh, each bring something unique to the table uh, and solve some of the galaxy's most pressing problems. Uh, sometimes so through, you know, galactic intervention a la Star Trek, and sometimes through just good journalism. <laughs> Because in the end, you're going back to your right what you know about. Right, and uh, you know uh, there is a there's 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 sort of a, an honor in bringing to the table little else but the pen. You know, as they say, the pen is mightier than the sword, uh, and you know there's a there's a strange observer effect. In, in most cases, when we have an embedded journalist, uh, you know, people behave a little bit differently. It's not a bad thing. It's just like, you know, um, when you shine a light on something, when there's transparency, that means, you know, people are more likely to behave better and, and, and rise to the challenge. Um, and uh, you know, it's when things are in the dark that, that, you know, bad behavior tends to, to breed and spread. Uh, and this, you know, is sort of a way of showing how that dynamic plays out. Uh, you know, she's going to be embedded on a regular line of the fleet, uh, ship spoiler alert. Uh, and it's not really a spoiler. I basically say that in the Kickstarters, but, uh, you know, there, there's going to be other players where there isn't going to be as much transparency and maybe there's going to be some bad behavior that needs uncovering. Um, but it's through that transparency and through the shining the light on things that as a society, we all sort of grow and learn and heal and do better next time. This is going to be a tough year for, uh, uh, independent artists and independent writers and independent comic books in general, because their main source of getting known and, and reaching out to the public uh, is now really not going to happen for quite a while. Uh, most of the Comic-Cons through April and May and, and June are being canceled one right after the other. And uh, it's it's heartbreaking. So the one thing that we can do is as books come out, uh, as comics come out, as artists bring new things to the table, is to get them out through events like this podcast and other podcasts so that people who are out there looking for something to do while they're socially distancing themselves uh, can, can help. 
and not yeah. not only that, but also help a writer, help an artist come together. Uh, we have been talking with Ryan Lassard, the writer and the creator of the Sentinel series, uh, which book two has gone through Kickstarter and will be coming out shortly. And when it does come out, you're coming back, right? Oh, yeah, totally. Oh, okay. Just wanted to <laughs> check and make sure of that. Uh, cause you I, got my number. Okay, cool. Uh, before we go, I also want to mention something uh, to our listeners. Uh, the wonderful band from Glasgow uh, that's that's fronted by uh, Joe Whitby, Lawrence Made Me Cry, uh, has released their first new EP in 10 years called Forsake Lovejoy. It's available on Bandcamp uh, as a download, and it is simply, simply amazing. Check it out. Plunk down some coin, get some great music from a band we haven't heard from in years. And all of us here on the show have come to love. You'll hear their music on our outro tonight. Thanks for playing the game, guys. And we're done. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Granite Con, Plastic City Comic Con, and the Upper Valley Comic Expo. We are also sponsored by Dreamforge Magazine, a superb magazine of fantasy and science fiction, and by Comic Art House. Visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. If you're looking for a really great gift book for the rapidly approaching Get Some Fresh Air Day event and celebration, Consider a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, My Peculiar Family, now on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. My Peculiar Family, the audiobook, is now available on Audible. I'm not sure where else you could possibly find it. Our intro production is provided by Rob Watts. More of his amazing stuff can be found by looking at RobWattsOnline.com. Don't forget to try the Watts sauce. Our outro is provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Check out their latest EP, Forsake Lovejoy, available on Bandcamp. A whole lot of love to Jojo and Celine. Many thanks to the gang tonight. From the Air Burrito Mall Factory Center, sweetheart of the soundboard, Kriana. From his booking books, thank you, Captain Cam. This is Dome saying, Terry and Jeannie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Better things are coming, Stacy. Stay strong, Liz. So, unless it's daytime, good night, everybody. How you doing there, Dome? I am the terror that flaps in the night.